Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, a wide-ranging conversation with Troy Aikman, the Fox analyst and Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback, and also Brian Gutekunst, the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers. But first, you know, a few thoughts coming into the final eight of the playoffs on the favorite to win it all, the New England Patriots. Last week, as many of you know, uh, ESPN's uh, Seth Wickersham wrote a story that, in essence, put a very definitive uh, uh, end date on the relationship between Bill Belichick, the coach, Robert Kraft, the owner, and Tom Brady, the quarterback of the Patriots. Much has been written, said about their relationship Uh, And I have basically two major thoughts about this, one of which I wrote, one of which I didn't. And I want to expand a little bit on something I wrote in my column this week about how, you know, I I think it's absolutely amazing this this triumvirate has lasted 18 years. In fact, it's it's beyond amazing uh, when you think that all of the great uh, coach-quarterback combinations, coach-quarterback-owner combinations in history. None of them have come close to uh, to 18 years, and probably a 19th year in 2018, if you believe Belichick and Kraft. Uh, and, and I think the biggest takeaway on this is, in every relationship, think of your boss at work. Think of the most important person you deal with every day at work. How many times have you left your office or left uh, your your place of employment, got in your car, and said to nobody, that bleepity bleep so-and-so, I hate him, uh, I, I got to get out of here, or I have to do something? And I just think that for three incredibly strong-willed men, Robert Kraft is an international multi-mega millionaire uh, in the cardboard box business uh, and in other businesses. Uh, He's a hugely successful businessman and has built one of the great franchises in the NFL. Bill Belichick is going to go down in history as either a top three or the top coach ever to coach in the 98-season history of the National Football League. Tom Brady... Uh, is a incredibly strong-willed person 
who has overcome the odds uh, of being drafted behind Spurgeon Win in 2000, uh, the 199th pick in the draft, who had the presence of mind when he walked in to say to Robert Kraft, Mr. Kraft, I'm going to be your starting quarterback. And so, you know, you've got these very these three very strong-willed people. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't think, uh, and I'm not disparaging anything that was reported by Seth Wickersham, but I don't know what happened. It's his story. But I would be shocked in the New England Patriots locker room, coaching office, ownership wing. I'd be shocked if there had not been some crises and some huge issues and problems over the years. And you know what? They got up the next day and they did their job and life went on. And three very strong-willed people lasted 18 years. And I believe it'll be a 19th next year. So I think if if everybody is sort of looking to kind of knock this organization, this team, and say, well, it's over, uh, I would have three words for you, not so fast. Um, the other point about this that, that I believe is a good lesson for everybody who works in a high-profile business is that, you know, especially in football and sports in general, that... This isn't like the good old days in sports where everything stayed behind closed doors. It's not like the good old days when you could basically run the organization, run your business any way you want. It's not like that anymore. This is a public, public, public business. And even the stuff that you want to keep behind closed doors, and again, I'm not I'm not saying Wickersham is right. I'm not saying Kraft is right. I'm not saying anything. I'm just simply saying that this is the type of scrutiny that you're going to have to be under when you uh, own an NFL team, when you coach an NFL team, and when you play quarterback for an NFL team. And in my opinion, the New England Patriots have had basically, I think, an excellent reaction to it. I mean, Bill Belichick just basically shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't care. I didn't read it whatever you guys write what you want uh brady didn't talk about a craft just basically said it didn't happen you know and all this and you know what i'm sure i'm sure that inside the walls there's some angst some anger and everything but to think that the new england patriots are going to be detoured by this uh when they play their playoff game against the tennessee titans on saturday night and whatever they play the rest of this month, you know, for the next four weeks, I, I think is silly. Um, this is one organization that doesn't get spooked, and it's one team that doesn't really uh, uh, doesn't really get derailed by what happens in the outside world. That's one of the reasons why, in the last eighteen years, they've won fifteen division titles, seven conference championships, and five Super Bowls. And by the way. They've won 12 or more seven years in a row in the regular season. Think about that for a second. Their worst record in the last seven years has been 12 and four. That's that's just that's absurd. It's it's just absurd. Anyway, so um, I want to get onto the podcast, but I just wanted to leave you with with the point that life goes on. Uh, teams take broadsides sometimes, and the best ones are able to shrug their shoulders and say, "Hey." 
write what you want to write, say what you want to say. We're going to show up tomorrow and go to work. Now my conversation with Troy Aikman. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, I'm joined by Troy Aikman. Uh, Troy, uh, we just were talking a little bit before we got going about um, the game on Monday night, and I missed it. I was asleep. I mean, it was a bad night to go to bed. Bad night to go to bed early. <laughs> but but I wanted to know. I'm I'm really really curious. I had two takeaways after I watched the highlights today. What stones by Nick Saban to take his quarterback right. out, who's whatever twenty five and two or something like that, and put in a kid who basically has never played, who's a true freshman. What'd you think of that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Peter. I mean, I I think that. You know, there's, there's, it, when you start looking at the, the coaches like Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, and they do things at times that I think those in football would say, yeah, well, you know, who wouldn't have done that when it works, right? But the reality is nobody would have done that. It's like when Bill Belichick went for it on fourth down against Peyton Manning in a big game when he was backed up on his own end of the field, you know, yeah. because he knew yeah. that if they didn't get the first down, they were going to lose anyway. And, then you look at last night's game with Nick Saban, nobody does that. And so I came away, regardless of the outcome, I mean, the outcome only makes it that much more impressive, but even when I was watching the game, just thinking, gosh, I mean, this guy to make that kind of move in this moment with this much at stake to a kid who hasn't played is really remarkable. And then to have the game end the way that it did was, uh, you know, it just adds to the lore of Nick Saban, which is obviously uh, as good as any coach in college that I've ever seen. Have have you, uh, do you know Saban at all? I've met him. I don't know him very well, no. Yeah. Um, I always wonder, I always think back, and I always wonder what happens if, the Miami doctors pass Drew Brees on the physical right. after he has the shoulder surgery, and instead of going to New Orleans, he goes to Miami. And that's right. Drew Brees is Nick Saban's quarterback. I really wonder. Now, you know, maybe I do too. Maybe he and his wife wouldn't have loved the pro life, but after two years, he leaves. But what do you think would have happened if Brees went to Miami? Well, I think it's a good point, and I think it's I think it's something that that history won't remember. What they'll remember is this phenomenal college coach, you know, maybe the best ever, and he tried to make it a go in the pros, and it didn't work out. And then look at what he was able to accomplish when he went back to college. And I I agree with you. I was just having this conversation last night uh, before the game that, you know, I sent out a tweet yesterday that, that said something to the effect that, you know, Bill Belichick and, and Nick Saban, when, when history's told years from now, we're going to be talking about these guys. We, and we, we need to realize that, that we're, we're witnessing two of the all-time greats. And, and I, you know, how Twitter goes, I got a bunch of responses, and some people took offense to the Nick Saban part of it because they feel that, well, he failed at the professional level. And it's my understanding, Peter, like what you just asked, is that he wanted Drew Brees, and yeah. and yet the medical wouldn't pass him so that they could sign him and he could be their quarterback, and that was very frustrating for him that he wasn't able to get a guy that he wanted, whereas in college you can certainly recruit. But I, I kind of wonder the same thing, and, and my guess is, quite honestly, that you know he would have certainly stayed longer than he did, and who knows, he might still be in the pros. I, I don't know that Drew Brees would have gone on and had the career that he's had, you know, working right. with Sean Payton, but... 
But I do think that Nick Saban would have enjoyed more success. He would have stayed longer, and who knows? Maybe he'd still be at the professional level. What would be amazing, if you think about it, let's say he stayed for 10 years. I mean, what kind of impact would that have had on the Patriots? I mean, I could see Saban and Belichick twice a year battling it out. Who knows how each legacy would be affected, but it would have been so much fun. That would have been like, you know, Noel versus Madden, you know, in the 70s or something, you know. Well, he would, you know, Belichick would have then, and and there's, as we know, there's assistants that have come off of his staff that have gone elsewhere and they they haven't had the impact, but, but they haven't gone on and done what Nick Saban's done in college either. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a good comparison. Uh, I, I think that what's interesting to me is, Peter, when you look at the NFL, we've been talking about parity for the last 10, 15 years or whatever it's been, and that's what the NFL wanted. And I always thought there was parity and, and that it's hard to win for these teams, and very few consistently do it. It's not just New England that's doing it. Seattle has done it. Green Bay's done it. Uh, Philadelphia had a stretch there, and they're good now. But I think that when you're Bill Belichick and you have things in place and the way you methodically go about your business or the way you evaluate players, I don't think in Bill Belichick's mind it, there is parity. I think he's got a decisive advantage over the other teams in this league because of the way they approach the game, the way they coach the game, his philosophies, his beliefs. And maybe for Bill Belichick, uh, the game's never been easier to win. Uh, I, I would argue that, of course, he's got Tom Brady, and I understand that, but I think he would also agree, we've had this conversation, that winning today, for him, uh, and if you do it right, it should be for other teams, is, is easier today than what it was when he was the head coach at Cleveland. Um, because you can get a decisive advantage with free agency if you know what you're looking for in players and how to utilize those, those guys once you get them. So you don't think that it was necessarily easier pre-free agency. You think it's uh, easy is the wrong word, but you think Belichick has a bigger advantage because he can take sort of second-tier free agents, the Johnson Batamoses of the world, and take those guys and pay them not very much, relatively speaking, and use them as valuable pieces, say, on his defense? Well, I think, I, I think part of it is that. I think there's a, there's a lot of parts to this. But I just think that he, he doesn't get locked into just saying, this is what we do. This, you know, and how many times do you talk to coaches and say, hey, we're not worried about the opponent. We're going to do what we do. And that's not Bill Belichick, you know. And and when I go into these meetings with teams and they say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna stop the run," it all starts with stopping the run. I've heard that, from, you know, from the time I first took a snap from center. And you know, there was a time when you're playing the greatest show on turf in the in the St. Louis Rams, you can stop the run all you want. You're gonna, you're gonna lose by forty, you know. And that's <laughs> when they went into that Super Bowl when New England did when they were heavy underdogs. They weren't worried about the run. They were worried about you know, Marshall Falk in the passing game and getting after Kurt Warner. And, of course, that was when they won their first Super Bowl. But I think that, you know, Bill comes at it, a, he comes at it much differently than, than other coaches. And this year, for instance, they got off to the tough start. They started the year off 2-2, two and two, giving up a ton of big yards. And I made the comment to him in the production meeting. I said, Bill, I think you got a lot of really good players on defense. And my guess is, is that by the end of the season, 
you're not going to be a top defense because you've given up way too many yards in the first month of the season. You'll never overcome that. But I bet that by the end of the season, if you only looked at the last month or the last half of the season, I bet this will be a top 15 defense. Probably higher, probably top 10. And he looked at me like I was crazy. They'd just given up 500 yards or something the week before. Yeah. And then you look at them, and they are. They're not giving up big plays. They've given up the fewest big plays in the last half of the season than anybody in football. And, and so he says, hey, we use the first month of the season. It's an extension of training camp because we're not able to hit the way that we want to. And they just, they just don't get too flustered in the way that they go about their business. And I do think that the way they, the way they evaluate players, the way they know they can take a guy and know exactly what he does well, put him in that position, and let him do it, and they change the game plan, as you know, Peter. You've been covering them each and every week, whether it's offensively or defensively, and nobody does that. And they try, some try, because everybody wants to copy the way they do things in New England, but it's just very few have the wherewithal uh, to make it work the way that, that he does. And so I think it gives him a decisive advantage uh, each and every year, and, and we've certainly seen that over the last 17, 18 years. I, I always say this about Belichick and Josh McDaniels. You know, I, I honestly feel like every game plan there is a snowflake. I have no idea what they're going right. to do any week. I just, I just don't know, and they don't care. And they're lucky that they don't have any stat guys on their team. I mean, Tom Brady doesn't care. I mean, but, uh, you know, he obviously. Well, Tom, the, Tom's been amazing. And, you know, I, I, there's not. And, and the reports that came out, whatever magazine it was that, that had the big story. Hey, I, I, I'm sure. I know the Patriots came out and they disputed the, the story. And that you would expect. And I'm not saying that the story was accurate, but. Hey, we've all been in businesses for an extended period of time to where, yeah, at some point there's a little tension and there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't see anything in that article that I read and said, wow, this is alarming. I can't believe this. It's it's very natural. And, and I'm, if anything, I'm surprised that maybe it's taken this long. But I think they've all done a good job of just, especially Tom, I, I think for a guy who's accomplished what he has and, and he's the youngest of the three and he's supposed to, as the player, have the least amount of say within the organization as it relates to the owner, the head coach, and the quarterback. Uh, he's taken less money at times when his contract has come up right. in order to be able to keep other guys. Uh, you know, he, he's a remarkable guy uh, aside from how talented he is as a player, and, and I've asked the question often, Peter, you know, who's benefited more? Has Tom benefited more by having Bill Belichick as his only head coach and his head coach all these years, or has Bill Belichick benefited more by having Tom Brady as his quarterback? And, and quite honestly, I don't know the answer to that, yeah, because I, I, I do know from experience <laughs> that, that me as a quarterback, when I had Jimmy Johnson, I was a hell of a lot better quarterback, and we were a better team, and I reaped more benefits because he was our our head coach. And so there's no question that Tom has benefited by having the brilliance of Bill Belichick as his head coach. And, and Bill's benefited by having the greatness of Tom Brady as well. But it is, it has been fun to watch. And one of these days it's going to end. And uh, I'm not looking forward to that day. Hey, look, I, I wrote this the other day that, uh, you know, there's never been an owner coach quarterback combination uh, that's lasted this long and had this much success. Right. I always thought of the 49ers with, uh, you know, DeBartolo, Walsh, Montana as the gold standard for the sort of the combo platter. And they that, that lasted 10 years. And, like, you think about it, wow, it only lasted 10 years, but that lasted 10 years. This has lasted 18 
years. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's absolutely it's unbelievable. unbelievable. And, 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 but, but, uh, and then to take it a step further, wouldn't you, Peter, be – I do know this, that Bill Belichick thought the world of Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, he did. And no question. I, I, I don't think that he, he wanted to let Garoppolo go. I Why don't would either. you? I mean, if you're, if you're a lifer like Belichick is, you want to have a succession plan. You've got to have yeah. somebody who can step in there and look, win games I, for you. I, I continue. Look, I'm just saying this, Troy. Someday, uh, and that ESPN story chipped away at it, but someday we're going to find out the truth. I don't know when it is. That's right. Someday we're going to yeah. find out the truth. It's like, you know, <laughs> I compare it to. Kind of, I mean, I feel bad for you. You only had five years of Jimmy, Jerry, Troy. I mean, imagine if that lasted 13 years, what would have happened? I mean, yeah. you probably well, have thought the, about that the, a few times over the well, years. Well, that's, the, that's <laughs> the, big, the big what if. And, and uh, my, my take on it, uh, like you said, the, the truth will come out, uh, and then it will get skewed, much like the Jimmy, Jerry situation. <laughs> Everybody will try to you know, make sure that they're the ones that are right in history. But... My take is that Bill did not want to get rid of Garoppolo, that he wanted to keep him, find a way to keep him next year. And, you know, Tom's got another year or two left. I mean, I can't imagine. He's not going to play until he's 50. And, uh, you know, but what would that have looked like had Brady eventually retire and you put Garoppolo in? Uh, I, think, I think there's a lot of people that would be curious as to, as to how – successful the Patriots I'll tell you what it would have looked like it could have looked like Favre to handing off to Aaron Rodgers that's what well, it I agree look like. I, my guess is based on what we've seen whether it's last year during those four games that Brady was suspended and and what Garoppolo was able to do and how they were what they go three and one three in those one, four yeah. games yeah. and then uh, the year that Matt Castle when Brady got hurt week one they go 11 and five I mean it, it, not taking anything away from Brady but Bill Belichick's gonna win I mean yeah. <laughs> it's that simple but yeah. And and according to the reports this week, Peter, uh, you know, wouldn't it be kind of fascinating to see if Bill went somewhere else, if he went to the New York Giants and and what he could do there? I, you know, I I think that'd be fun to follow as well. Although it doesn't appear that's going to be happening. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I had a good talk with uh, Robert Kraft on Friday night late, and he said absolutely Belichick's coaching this year. And we talked a little bit just on background, and and to say that he poo-pooed the idea of Belichick being, quote, traded, end quote, uh, I mean, he, he's not trading Bill Belichick. I mean, I mean yeah. who knows? Maybe, maybe circumstances are going to change, but I'll just tell you this. He's not trading Bill Belichick based on his tone of voice when I raised that yeah. issue with him. Well, and, and I and and he wasn't going to to let Tom Brady go play somewhere else either, right. and, and 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 I understand that. I mean, as an owner, I, I know his affection for Tom, and and Tom's done a lot, and you know, so I do think there's a human element to that, and I, I understand it. I understand it completely, but uh, I, I think that Mr. Kraft, what he what he has said to me in the past is that he saw what happened in Dallas with Jimmy and Jerry and, and egos get in the way. And, and sometimes you just got to keep that in check and, and appreciate the times that are good. And, and fortunately for Bob Kraft and, and the Patriots, times have been good for a long, long time. And, and I, I wouldn't want to see Bill Belichick go anywhere else either. I want to ask you as somebody who gets to peek behind the curtain of the Patriots of every team, actually, 
and you go into the production meetings, you watch some practice, you've seen them now in your new role, not new role, in your role doing TV for years now. So what do you think makes the Patriots different? Well, you certainly feel it as soon as you walk in, and I don't know if it's because of the aura of their success or if 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 it's just the way that they do things that allow them to have their success. When when I would walk into the Eagles facility and watch them practice when Andy Reid was there and they were on their run in the NFC and and going to the playoffs each year and playing in championship games, and you it felt different than it did with other teams. New England takes that to an entirely different level. It's, it's very businesslike. Um, there's, I think everybody comes to work with a purpose. They understand that they're, they're there to get a job done. And you feel that. You feel a sense of urgency. You feel, uh, you feel a little sense of uneasiness, uh, if you will, with the players. And, and when they communicate with you and they seem a little guarded, like they don't want to say the wrong thing. And I, I think Bill does a really good job of hammering a message and making sure the players understand how they're going to handle the questions for that week and what they're allowed to say. I mean, we've seen, we've seen Rob Gronkowski, you know, he's talked about it a little bit when he's wanted to talk about some things and he says, oh, I'll get in trouble. I, I can't. And I, when I, people ask me, hey, what are you looking for in a head coach if you were in a position to hire a guy? I, I, the first thing I always say is I've got to have a guy who can stand in front of 53 guys and command the room in difficult times. And Bill Belichick certainly is capable of doing that, and he has done that. And if you look at the history of any sport, uh, just sports in general, on who are the great coaches who have had enormous success, if you listed the guys you think are the all-time great coaches, there's always a few outliers, but not many of those guys are what you would call players' coaches, you know. And they're pretty tough, demanding, disciplined guys. And and so I believe in my heart that to be successful uh, in sports, I do believe that that you've got to create an environment that makes people accountable. And nobody does that better than Bill Belichick. This is the MMQB podcast. There's an amazing free browser extension called Honey that millions and millions of people use every day to save money. Honey is the world's most popular money-saving browser add-on. It works on Chrome, Firefox, Safari, all the major browsers, and it's always free. It only takes two clicks to add Honey to your browser. Then it starts working in the background right away. While you shop, Honey scans and tests millions of coupon codes all over the internet to find you the biggest discount on everything you buy online. But here's the best part of all. Whenever you're ready to check out, Honey automatically applies the best coupon to your cart. That means you'll always get the biggest discount to get the best price possible without even having to do anything. I mean, where has this been for all my life? I want Honey! Give me honey. Anyway, this means you'll get the biggest discount of all to get the best price of all without even having to do anything. Almost 10 million people use honey every day to save millions and millions of dollars. So why not you? If it sounds too good to be true, Time Magazine agrees. That's why they called honey basically free money. There's no reason not to add Honey to your browser. 
It's free. It'll save you cash on everything you are going to buy anyway. If you're not using Honey when you shop, you're missing out on free money. Add Honey to your browser for free right now at joinhoney.com slash king. One more time. Go to joinhoney.com slash king. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean... Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And now, more with Troy Aikman. With Troy Aikman on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. I want to go back and ask one more question about the college football game that we saw. Because I, it really, really interests me. 14 months ago, the two quarterbacks in that game in the second half, down the stretch of the national championship game, were both high school football quarterbacks. And now just 14 months later, they are on the biggest stage. And, and I guarantee you, if they were both in the draft, people would really be interested in them, you know, if they could, if they could come out this early. So I just want to ask you, why – and you're seeing guys play competently to really, really good, both as true freshmen and as very young quarterbacks in college football. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I will first say that I know that it's really difficult to do because I played as a true freshman. Uh, my first start at Oklahoma, I was 17 years old and uh, played in Lawrence, Kansas. And I got thumped pretty good. We were number two in the country, and I played terrible. Um, and so I know that it's, it's not an easy transition. Uh, at least it wasn't for me coming from a small high school. But I, I believe the reason that we're seeing – you know, Josh Rosen did it at UCLA, comes in as a true freshman and plays really well, like you said, these, these kids. And, uh, what, and then even going from college to playing as rookies in the NFL, we're seeing uh, success that we've just simply not seen that, uh, you know, prior to 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And, and I, what I believe, Peter, is that these kids are getting a lot more reps. I always equate it to this, that my daughters, uh, who are now in high school, they, they play soccer, and when they were young, they'd play outdoor soccer, and then the winter, they'd go and play this indoor soccer. And indoor soccer was really great for their skills because they got a lot more touches on the ball, on the indoor game. And then it would transition into the outdoor game, and they'd be much better. 
And these college, these these high school kids, they're 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 getting a lot more reps in these seven on seven leagues. The college quarterbacks are doing the same thing. They get far more reps during the off season and in their preparation. And then even when they get into the season, it's become such a passing game at all levels that they're getting more throws. And so I bet that. You know, these kids, when they're going into college or the college kids going into pros, there's no telling how many more throws and looks they got to see throwing to a receiver, looking at a defense, than, than I did when, when I was coming out of high school or when I was coming out of college. And, and they just seem to be athletes now that they're not scared of anything. I mean, they're just pretty brash, confident guys that they don't – there's so many guys before them that have had some success that there's no longer this thing that, oh, well, you don't play as a true freshman at that position. You can't have success. That's not the way it's done. They all expect to come in and play as true freshmen and have great success. They all expect to leave after their third year and go play in the NFL and then start as rookies. And it's been fun to watch some of the success and the maturation from these young quarterbacks. I remember asking Andy Dalton this question a few years ago and because I said to him, hey, you know, like, Ten years ago, when Carson Palmer walked off the USC campus and came to the Bengals, the Bengals said, he's having a redshirt year. You know, we're not playing him his rookie year. And, and Dalton kind of interrupted me, and he said, well, he said, I can, I, I, I'm pretty sure that even though Carson Palmer probably did a lot of stuff in the offseason, he said, I, I've, been, I've been playing football like every week since ninth grade all year. You know, I go in these seven-on-seven leagues, and I'm playing with great receivers. I'm playing with guys who are going to go play in the NFL. Yeah. And so, and you know, and he said, when you're in Texas, you just, it's just football, football, football. And he goes, I just think that guys who play quarterback today have a lot bigger advantage, not just because maybe they go to this passing camp in the offseason or something like that, but they're actually playing competitively through the offseason. And he said, I think that's a huge difference. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, a, the, the, it's so, so many facets of, of the training for the athletes is, is far different than it was. You know, I, I can't believe I've been retired 17 years, but in the, in the past 15, 20 years, you know, it's all changed. Uh, and in addition to that, the amount of reps, like, like what Andy was saying, uh, has has changed dramatically in in their preparation and and the other part of it too is this as far as going from college to pro is there was a time when the colleges were all looking at the NFL and they were trying to do what the NFL was doing they'd look at schemes they'd look right. at offensive formations now you know as you know the the pros they're all looking at the colleges and and they're mimicking what they're seeing at the collegiate level. And, and that's why now we're seeing, you know, you never would have thought of running a quarterback. I don't care if the guy could run in college or not. I mean, that was just not a recipe for success. It was instead, uh, you know, a, a, a recipe for disaster because you're going to lose your quarterback. And, and now those days are over. I mean, you don't hear people saying, oh, you can't run a quarterback like that. Um, it just happens, and you hope the guy protects himself. But we've seen a, we've seen a big shift in the way a lot of things are being done. Do you ever wish you played longer? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wish I played longer. I, I, I could have played longer, Peter. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't because of concussions, as so many people think. And, and if, if any injury 
caused me to leave the game. It was my back. I was having issues throughout my last season and having to take injections to try to get on the field. And uh, that was as much a problem as anything. But the concussions were not. And I almost uh, – I had had thoughts that I was going to go sign with San Diego. North Turner was the offensive coordinator there at the time. And and so when I got released by Dallas, I expected to go sign with the, or with the uh, Chargers and I got a call from Norv uh, the next morning. He says they just signed Doug Flutie uh, because John Butler was the GM in San Diego. And yeah. in Buffalo, if you remember, they were either going to take Doug Flutie or they're going to take Rob Johnson. And they took whoever they released. And so they signed Doug Flutie and then made the decision clear for me. And I, and, and I did give con- some consideration to coming out of retirement a couple years later. I'm glad I didn't. But yeah, you think uh, I thought twelve years was a nice number, but the <laughs> you know, quarterbacks now they're they're, you know, they're playing seventeen, eighteen, twenty years. I think, geez, I mean, I, I just like had a little coffee break in the NFL. I wasn't there long at all. <laughs> That's pretty good. I know. Ne- how did I never know that San Diego story? That's amazing. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it, it it wasn't thrown out there much, and and uh, but yeah, I would have. Uh, what happened is is that I think too that. That that team was not as close as people thought. Right. Uh, it was a struggle, certainly for Doug. And so I look back on that situation, and then I also almost came out and played for the Dolphins uh, a couple of years later when Wanstead was the head coach and Norv was the offensive coordinator. Coordinator there, they thought they were a quarterback away, and and they wound up I think going six and ten that following season. So. You know, it's uh, it's the old Garth Brooks song. You know, sometimes uh, thank God for unanswered prayers, and and uh, <laughs> those were two situations that I'm glad that I didn't I didn't get signed because um, it didn't work out for either of those those guys the way they thought it might. Um, finishing up with Troy Aikman, so um, I, I wonder now when you look at the way the game is played and you see the incredible concern about concussions. We just saw what happened with Cam Newton the other day that, uh, you know, we're not really sure what exactly happened when he went to his knee, uh, you know, in the Superdome. But, but in a larger sense, in a larger sense, is this, in your mind, good for the game or are people being a little bit overcautious and it, it's the old, uh, hey, it's a tough game, and if you don't like it, don't play it. Well, it's a good question. And so my thoughts on it are, are this, Peter, that it, it, we all understand why the league has had to take the position that they've taken uh, with regards to head injuries and how it impacts then the future of our game. Uh, I, I do think that good steps have been taken to try to protect the players as best as possible. But every time there's a concussion, then there seems to, you know, they just added more procedures this year, uh, a few weeks ago, as to how those things will be handled in-game. But it is a violent game, and as long as players are wearing helmets, there are going to be concussions. It's just a part of it. And although I'm all for making the game safer, I, I think that, as we draw more attention to what procedures are being put in place to make the game safer, it really is more of a reminder to everybody that the game's not safe. And so I'm not sure exactly how the league should handle it, but we draw a lot, like Cam Newton, for instance. I mean, there was a time years ago that 
okay, he got poked in the eye. If that's what he says, he's down, no, no, you know, right, no big deal. But, but now with every hit that is to the head, all right, well, what are they doing on the sidelines? Is he going through the concussion protocol? Is there a neurologist watching him? Uh, you know, what's his status going forward? And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about it. And it's a reminder to the parents out there and, the, and mostly the moms to these 10-year-old uh, the moms of 10-year-old boys that the game's not safe. And uh, kids are going to play football. There's, there's, I believe there always will be football, but uh, I also know that, that I have a lot of friends who are parents of young kids, and, and they're not letting their kids play football. You know, So uh, what it looks like and, and what kids exactly is the sport attracting as we move forward, I, I think that's going to be the real question. And, and what's the NFL game like? And you know, TV ratings going down the way that they have, there's a number of reasons for that. But, uh, you know, I think the, the head injuries and uh, the safety of the game, I've got to believe at some level plays into some of the, uh, some of the declined ratings also. Troy Aikman, you've been very gracious with your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend and the rest of the year, and we will be in touch. Sounds great. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. State Farm knows that for football fans, your car and home are more than just stuff. They're some of your most valuable possessions. Whether it's the truck that gets you to every tailgate or the place where you watch your favorite team with your favorite people. But life can be a real tough opponent. So when it comes to insuring your car or home, you need a strong defense, like State Farm. Because they know it's more than just a car or a house. So why not give it the protection it deserves? It's just one more way they're here to help life go right. Talk to a State Farm agent today. And now my conversation with the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers. And let's hope I pronounce his name right. Brian Gutekunst. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. I'm joined now by the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers, Brian Gutekunst. And Brian, first of all, you have to pronounce your last name because I'm sure I screwed it up. <laughs> no, it was pretty good. It's uh, it's Gudekunst. Gudekunst. And, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a G- German name. Uh, means good art in German, and uh, I think there's people in my family pronounce it different. So don't worry about it. <laughs> well, you know, Brian, you're you're. I assume you're in Lambeau Field today in the Packer offices. Am I right? You are. Yeah. So. As a football lifer, you know, you're the son of a coach, your dad. Mm-hmm. I think you were about 12 years old when your dad took over uh, John Gutekunst as the um, head coach of the University of Minnesota. And so you, you know this life. Uh, you got hired by Ron Wolf as a scout with the Packers. And mm-hmm. I just I, I want to ask you, first of all, what does it feel like for you to be to be sitting in that chair to be the general manager of Vince Lombardi's team. Yeah, it's a really cool moment. Uh, uh, not only with my family, but with uh, a bunch of the you know the scouts and, and guys that work here. Um, a lot of energy, really excited. Um, but it is. It's. I'm sure there's going to be more moments. You know, when I sit back after we get through some of this rush, um, and uh, it's just kind of unbelievable. But it's uh, like you said. I've. I've I've been around football since the day I was born, and and this is pretty normal for me. Um, winning and losing has always been a part of of uh, my life. So, um, you know, but at the same time, this is such a special place, and uh, it is a little surreal at times. You know, I I, I want to start off by 
if I can, by saying, by, by asking you, how did you fall in love with football? Was it just natural because your dad was a coach and this was your life? Yeah, I think so. You know, I grew up with two brothers and a very competitive little household. And, you know, when you're running around practice fields and, uh, you know, as a a kid and all your idols are the players that are are running around on the field that your dad's coaching, I think it's just it's kind of one of those things. You just fall in love with competition in general, uh, no matter what sport you're playing. And, uh, you know, I think as I I got older and stuff and you really uh, realize the – uh, the value of the game and how different it is than other sports and how majority of the guys on the field never touch the ball. And it's such a, a team first type sport. I think um, it just kind of gets a hold of you. And, you know, it's just kind of the fabric of who you are. And you were, um, you were still fairly young. I think uh, it's almost 20 years ago, right? You got hired by Ron Wolf to be a scout. So you would have been what, about 25 years old then? Yeah, so I, I interned in 1997. Uh, I think I was about uh, 23, 24 at the time. Spent a year in Kansas City and then came back at 25. So, um, yeah, I was, you know, I've been here a long time and uh, I've got to see it from a, a bunch of different angles. But the best part about it is we've kind of had the same uh, process from a scouting perspective for the entire time. And then you've seen guys go on to other places and implement that, you know, in, in different places and see them have success there. So it's a uh, it's been a great path. Uh, the experiences I've had and the people that I've been around is just—it's been a blessing the whole way. What would you say you took from your time working under Ron Wolf? His decisiveness, you know, um, his work ethic. I think those were the things that uh, really stood out. I got, you know, about two and a half, three years with Ron directly and uh, watching him um, go through his process and just always knowing what he wanted. Um, and then and being able to get to that decision, um, you know, and I think I was indirectly, uh, you know, kind of mentored, you know, by him through so many others, John Schneider, John Dorsey, Reggie McKenzie, Scott McLuhan, and of course, Ted Thompson. Um, those guys have ta- had taken so much from Ron. They had spent so much time with him and passed those things down to, to some of us uh, who kind of came in at the end of Ron's career. And, and it still shows here today. I mean, there's so many young scouts who never got to work with Ron, but they, their beliefs have been kind of shaped by guys who have. And so that's, it's kind of been one of those things that's been passed down and it will continue to be. When you say decisiveness, describe why that's important. Well, the, you know, and, and specifically in the scouting part of it, but I think in, in all roles that a general manager sits in, it's a decision-making chair. And I think, you know, it's, um, there's always, uh, you know, a bunch of ways to skin a cat, but, uh, at the same time, somebody has to make the decision. Um, you get a room full of scouts, you're going to get a room full of opinions on a player, but somebody's got to make the decision you know, where he's going to go on the board or if, we're, if you're going to sign him. And I think that was the thing that I, being around him and Ted as well was just that, um, you know, watch them to go through their process and their work ethic and then, you know, just never be afraid of the moment. You know, I've been fortunate enough a few times on draft days uh, to be in draft rooms and to watch the process happen. And I don't know, this is maybe 12 or 13 years ago. Um, I was with the Dallas Cowboys in the days before the draft where they Mm -hmm. set their board, their final board. And and there was this feeling, there still is this feeling, that Jerry Jones makes all these decisions. And I tried to tell everybody that Jerry Jones listens to about 15 people. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that that week that I was there where um you know where i'm dead serious there would be 
two hours of conversation in that room where they're arguing about, um, I think it was Quentin Jammer, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> sure. They're arguing about Quentin Jammer. And it wasn't, I don't mean arguing. What I mean is that they were having, you know, discussions about where to put him and should he be the number one corner and everything like that. And I'm dead serious. I, I bet it was 90 minutes where Jerry Jones sure. just sat there and listened to everybody. So, you know, at the end of the day, did Jerry Jones decide that we're taking somebody else other than Quentin Jammer? Yes. But, I mean, Jerry Jones is not out there with the, with the stopwatch and everything like that. Right. And, 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 I mean, you have to rely on the people in that room, the people who are on the road, just like Ted Thompson relied on you to tell him – I'm sure that you could tell me stories over the years of Ted looking at you and basically saying, all right, Brian, what do you think of X? Yeah. And that's, I think that's the, uh, that's the thing that all of our, you know, guys, I think coming up in this system realize that it's, you, you can have a lot of opinions and, the, and you can push for things, but you know, when you get turned to and you say, okay, we're going with this, this is your call. You, you know, you better have been prepared to say yes or no. You know, and that's the thing. I think, the one thing that all scouts understand is you better do the work so you can have the opinion. You can't have the opinion without the work because it never works that way. So, you know, there's no secret to this. It's just a lot of long hours, a lot of grinding and to get to those things, and it's not easy. Um, but it's not as complicated as some people want to make it think. It's just you, you have to do the work to get to that decision point. It's the MMQB Podcast. In need of great talent for your business but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools. Smarter tools. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then, ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates, so you'll never miss a great match. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. Folks, it is too easy and too free. ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. Now, more with Brian Gutekunst. What would you say when you're on the road and you're scouting and you're out at a school? Other than obvious talent, I want to know what you look for. What are must-haves in a football player when you're scouting? Yeah. You know, we talk a lot of here about wiring and how a player is wired. You know, how much passion and love for the game do they have? Um, will they sacrifice for the team? Um, you know, do they have enough? Uh, we call it fo- we call it football character. Are they willing to put in the time and work and and uh, be a good teammate? 
So those are a lot of the things because the NFL is hard. It's it's not easy, and uh, if you don't love this game, if you're not if you don't have a you know significant degree of toughness, uh, it's going to be you know it's going to be hard to make it. So those are the things you know, you you touched on it earlier where you know you know a general manager can't be at every single school. He can't go and talk to every single coach. You got to rely on your guys for that. You know, and then that's that's one of the main you know r- you know reasons why you come to come to the decisions you come to is uh, where you feel good about the person, not only the player. If you look at the Packers roster right now, tell me a player and maybe tell me the story of of a guy who you're sort of proud of uh, that maybe you went on the ledge for or that you said, you know, I, I really like this guy. And then he came to the Packers and he did pretty well. Is there a guy who yeah. stands out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, there's probably a bunch. I think you know, um, you know, there was, uh, obviously Sam Sam Shields always comes to mind because Sam was a wide receiver turned corners last year at Miami. Uh, he had a bunch of physical gifts. Um, you know, he was an undrafted free agent, and uh, you know, the one thing going down to Miami, if you spend enough time there, you knew, you knew he was a very competitive kid, and uh, he kind of had you know um, because of the position switch, I think he was you know, undervalued. And uh, so I think that that's one of them that that uh, that stands out. Vonta Leach was another one earlier in my career. Uh, he was a running back that carried the ball quite a bit at East Carolina and ended up being a very good fullback in the league. Um, but his toughness and his wiring and passion for the game is what carried him. He was, you know. So those are some of the things that uh, you know, some of the guys that just come to mind. Um, there's guys on our roster right now. I think uh, you know there's guys like Lucas Patrick. And uh, Justin McRae that uh, we went through this year that uh, are kind of unheralded guys, but their toughness and grit, um, you know, in spots this, this year were, were impressive to see them step up to challenges. With uh, Brian Gutekunst, the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers, a couple more, Brian. Um, I, I wonder when I look at um, when I look at Ted Thompson, and I have great admiration for Ted Thompson. There's probably not many souls in this world who in 2005 are going to say, yeah, I'll take Aaron Rodgers. Um, right. You know, you have no idea if Brett Favre, even though Brett Favre went through this dance every year, am I retiring? Am I not? You know, very well could have stayed for five more years. But anyway, right. I, I, I'm curious. The biggest knock on Ted Thompson over the years has been that he really wanted to live and die by the draft. He was not a big free agency guy. And I wonder how do you feel about free agency and how do you feel about the art of building an NFL roster? Sure. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, the, the organization has to look at every Avenue of player acquisition and free agency is certain, certainly one of those. It's a little bit more risky and dangerous than the draft, but I think, uh, the biggest thing to me is always, you know, we talk about it here about being prepared. I mean, you're not going to be able to sign every player, and we understand that. And and if you do, it always has, you know, ramifications down the line. So you got to be smart, but at the same time, I think um, you got to be prepared to pull the trigger when the right opportunity comes. And I think our guys are pretty pretty energized right now um, to get through that process of getting prepared. And uh, if the right opportunities come, we're gonna we're gonna be ready to pull the trigger because. You know, the most important thing to me is that the entire roster is competitive at every group. Uh, I think there needs to be a little bit of uh, edge and uneasiness about how, hey, I don't want to look over my shoulder and, and you know lose my job to someone. So the more competitive the roster can be, I think, the better. And I think uh, every avenue uh, that we can do that, uh, we'll use. 
Brian Gutekunst, new general manager of the uh, Green Bay Packers. Really, really appreciate you joining me on the podcast and uh, wish you an awful lot of luck in Green Bay. Thank you so much, Peter. I really appreciate it. Thanks to my guests, Troy Aikman and Brian Gutekunst. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my MMQB series, such as my conversations with Larry Fitzgerald, Roger Goodell, and Chris Mortensen. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Honey, State Farm, and Zip Recruiter. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.